Hey, we've got a tip for you folks. This summer, discover the new movie, The Big Sick. It's from producer Judd Apatow. From just everything great comes a new comedy based on the real-life romance between Silicon Valley's Kumail Nanjiani and grad student Emily Gordon, who fall in love but struggle as their cultures clash. Don't miss the film that has critics raving, also starring Ray Romano, Holly Hunter, and A.D. Bryant. Get tickets in select theaters now and everywhere July 14th. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of The Cracked Podcast. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I am also known as Schmitty the Clam, and I am also, also asking you to do us a quick favor. It takes like 15 seconds. Please open your podcasting app of choice, search for Cracked Movie Club, and subscribe to that feed. That's it. It's very easy. Did you do it yet? I feel like Okay, and now you did it. Fantastic. Crack Movie Club is a new podcast that we are launching on Thursday. It's our podcasting version of a summer blockbuster, and it'll be a weekly journey through the best movies by the best directors of all time. We're so excited about it, and we think you will be too, because we made the show for a lot of reasons. But one of them is that movies are the number one subject that Cracked fans tell us they want more things about. That is sort of a bottomless well of excitement. And why wouldn't they be? They're awesome. We also find that there are so many ways to have fun with movies, from after-hours type fan theories to just amazing facts about their background to pointing out how ridiculous it is when adults get together to make a movie. Just movie production, that's an act that the hosts of Cracked Movie Club very humorously like to call expensive pretending, because, yeah, that's what it is. It's like a $100 million play date for very creative people. Crack Movie Club is also a weekly show. It's themed around a different director every month. So we think that's an approach that's missing from the world of movie podcasts. Some deep dives, but also a lot of nimbleness in terms of who we're talking about when and covering the whole range of movies. And as reasons to make the show go, I think the biggest reason of all is that we've got the right two hosts. Their names are Tom Ryman and Abe Epperson. Anyway, those two hosts, along with me, are today's roster because... Crack Movie Club launches this week. We couldn't be more excited about it. And we wanted to do a special sit-down in the run-up to it to talk about the big movie of this season. We are going to go on a journey together and figure out the absolute number one summer blockbuster of all time. What movie totally encapsulates that weirdly specific genre of expensive, impressive, explosion-y movie? That is strange, right? That we have an entire genre of summer blockbusters. Like, there's no reason summer movies have to be a particular way. I don't know if you've been in a movie theater where a lot of movie watching happens, but there's not really weather. It could be any season once you're inside. But for some reason in the summer, we want all kinds of very specific things, often involving aliens or dinosaurs. We're going to talk about all the other qualities we're looking for in summer blockbusters and the history of them and what makes... One particular movie, the greatest summer blockbuster of all time. I think you're going to love it. And please sit back or continue doing physical fitness. We hear some of you work out to us and uh, keep it up. Anyway, you're going to love this episode with me and with the new hosts of Cracked Movie Club. I'll catch you again at the end and talk to you soon. We are joined in the studio by Abe Epperson. Hello. And by Tom Ryman. Hello. And they are the hosts of Cracked Movie Club. What? We are. Yes, we are. That's true. Yeah. It's all happening. We're your movie experts, guys. (laughs) 
<laughs> so movie fan. Oh no. <laughs> Not sure I've earned that title. But yeah, no, we're we're both idiots like everyone just, else. <laughs> I don't feel that way. <laughs> uh, it's a new show coming out Thursday, and we're so excited about it. And the format is you guys talk about a different director every month on a weekly show. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We pick a new director each month. Each episode is a specific film of that director's, and we just get into every possible aspect we can yeah. in uh, an hour or so. Yeah. And yeah, the idea should just be really fun, uh, entertaining way to uh, make you an expert in that particular movie so that you can irritate people at get-togethers Yeah, <laughs> or and anytime gonna, you watch that movie. You're going to get kind of a, I mean, we're going to do jokes because, I mean, we're jokesters and that's how we get money. But um, you're going to get a more scholastic version than you would elsewhere. Tom is perhaps the most knowledgeable man about movies I've ever met in oh. my life. The guy knows mm. Encyclopedia, you know, knowledge of it. And then I, the only thing that I got is I got an MFA in film and video from graduate school at USC. So I'll come at it with like filmmaker aspects, you know, like things you didn't know and like how'd they get that shot and that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, that, and in talking to you guys on shows and not, yeah, you're so steeped in all these different backgrounds of movies and facts about movies and especially. Tom knows movie casting in a way that wow, has yeah. always astounded me. It's just yeah. like he'll be watching a movie and he's like, oh, yeah, there's C. Thomas Howell is one of those kids. Mm. Yeah, got <laughs> it. Yep. Uh, so we've successfully outed ourselves as nerds. Thank you for having us. Yeah. <laughs> there's probably a more clinical term for what's wrong with me. But, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, there's a whole lot clinically wrong with me. So. <laughs> just three nuts talking film, folks. And... <laughs> And yeah, I thought it'd be fun to get together and talk about a whole bunch of movies all at once by also doing a summer movies episode. Yeah. And specifically, we are going to figure out which movie is the biggest summer movie of all time. The most of a summer movie, you know? The, yeah. thing, the film that most encompasses the qualities of what we think is a summer, big yeah, summer blockbuster. Like a blockbuster, yeah. I yeah. want to start off with talking about what those qualities are. Every good debate needs to have a definition war. So Ooh. what to me, what to you guys <laughs> exemplifies like a summer movie, other than obviously coming out during summer? It's got to at least begin as a spectacle or become a spectacle. Like it has to have a lot of, it has to like dominate the conversation. Right. I think. Like before that's, and after, like yeah. this is that's the movie to critique. see. And then when it comes out, even if there's other movies that come out for the rest of the summer, everybody's comparing it. Still to that, talking that about like, that. Man, one. this one was. Yeah. It's it's still. I think we peaked so, with this movie. So so like, yearly game changers, and I think it's on the table, like in our, in terms of like what ones we're going to talk about. That it doesn't know any master in terms of if it was like a well performed thing or a extravagant right. CG experience. You know, like yeah. it, one doesn't isn't better than the other. They're right. all just now. That's what's nominated them into this conversation. Sure. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of. I think in this conversation we're going get out into a lot of areas of different quality there's yeah, gonna be like yeah. a base i don't think any of these movies that were some won't gonna... be good at all yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we just we just all remember that yeah we'll be like that was the, the that summer was that oh movie. boy yeah. yeah it is that's such a key quality is like it's a movie where you being alive as a person at the time just the word is out that holy cow if you go into a movie theater this month, you can see that happen. Yeah. Like it, yeah. That being dinosaurs or aliens sure. or explosions or whatever the thing is that this movie's providing. It's funny to me because when I got the email from you, Alex, when you're like, you guys want to talk about this, I thought that my criterion, my setup for it, or like my definition of summer movie was like, yeah, movies about summer. Movies that uh, <laughs> make you think of summer. Like, I totally knew that, like, summer blockbuster was a thing. I just yeah. had to do a joke immediately, like, upon seeing I, your email. I think that's kind of a thing, though. 
I think that's I think that's you give sort it extra points. I don't yeah. think it's the main criterion that we use in this conversation, but I will say that like there's nostalgic effort in the stylistic approach or like to me if it makes me think of summer or like that it also is kind of a contender in this conversation. Like yeah. if it's really like one of the best summer movies, The Beach. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just like the idea. Oh, the movie The Beach. Yeah, it's just that's a, <laughs> it's a stupid joke. But um, but you know what I mean. Like there should be a little, a few points awarded for that. Kind for of actually thing. taking yeah. place during for summer. taking place during summer, or like you know, just in general, it makes us think of summer. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about a movie that wins a few of those points because because yeah. also you guys are doing your first month of the show all about Steven Spielberg, mm-hmm. uh, who true. some of you may know out there is the director of everything, and he uh, he directed a little movie called Jaws. Oh, that he yes. did. Yeah. Yeah. Jaws created the idea of a summer blockbuster. Yes, it did. <laughs> because right. before Jaws came out, it was released in June of 1975. There was no such thing as a season that was where you put all your big movies. Like the summer blockbuster season wasn't a thing. The idea of a summer blockbuster didn't exist. You just kind of released movies when it made sense financially for you to release them. Like they didn't, studios didn't save their big tentpole pictures for the summer. They just released them whenever they were ready to be released pretty much. And now we've kind of fallen into the bi-yearly model where you have like the big summer run and you have the the Christmas, Christmas yeah, yeah. November, December. It's Uh-oh. weird that Christmas is like summer too. Right. Yeah, it's it's like weird. cold summer. <laughs> cold, cold summer. Here <laughs> on my own. I love this. I love that it's a sequel. Yeah. It's like Because that's how movie people think. It's right. like, we need a second one of those. Yeah, sequel. Well, what Redo. If, what if it was different? They couldn't get any of the original cast. Yeah. Sunshine, cool trees. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They were all, cool <laughs> all tied up cool. in other projects. How is cool trees the second attribute of summer i think yeah. of. anyway that's <laughs> very weird it's a very cold summer very rattling hot off winter. every the universal things of summer and the second thing was cool trees <laughs> cool trees are they yeah. like cool like they're wearing sunglasses or yeah. are they cool like temperature wise they're they're not think, they're not overheating yeah i think they're wearing sunglasses yeah. probably it could be both <laughs> <laughs> so yeah jaws was released and kind of made everybody i think it was that and then a few years later when star wars came out also in the summer that really solidified it as the idea of Summer's the big season where we can build attractions, basically, and be like, everybody should go see this. It's during the summer. And it's like now it's gotten to the point where if a movie doesn't come out during the summer and it doesn't come out during summer, too, we kind of assume it's bad. We're yeah. Start, we're, yeah. that's, that's or it's changing. an indie darling or something like that. Right. That's changing because movies get released in March now. Like big movies get released in March. Like this past year, we had Logan. Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. yeah, basically whatever Disney wants to do, we're in that, you realize that we're in the hegemony of Disney now. They're yeah. the empire. But and it's like they're like, we want to have three summers. Yeah. <laughs> then we're like, well, there's, all cause right. Because no, it's just, <laughs> you run it's the just show. The, yeah, regressing back to the way it used to be before because there's no one time of year when people are more likely to go see a movie, really. Like, it's like... No. You're going to go see it when there's something cool you want to see. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's just interesting to me that like if you release a movie in January now, people are just, oh, well, that's a piece of shit. <laughs> well, I mean, people yeah. go to movies now like uh, – and they have been for a few decades. Like they're going to church, right? They like, I don't know what movie we're going to see this week. I remember back in the day when we were a kid and it was like an event to go to a movie. And then it got – like when I hit a certain age, I think maybe – sixth grade or something like my brother and I would just go to the movies every single weekend right. like we saw everything that came out just because mm-hmm. you could this is back in in the way back days when you could go to a matinee for 325 yeah so oh, like, and you got a popcorn for a nickel a popcorn for <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Lincoln was president. Yeah. <laughs> you got it. For, for, for a quarter, you can get some popcorn and some saltwater taffy. Brother against brother. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's a period between like 1994 and like 2000 where I saw every fucking movie that was released in the theater. See, <sighs> we did the thing where we were OG. Um, we didn't go to the theater that often. We did. But we were like OG pirates. Well, maybe not OG because that would be actual pirates. But like we were old school <laughs> like media pirate. Yeah. Because oh. we had two VHSs. Well, I so thought we... you were dressing up like pirates to go to no, movies. No, no, no. Yeah, that I, also I thought you might, you were like way into Pirates of the Caribbean. I am Black way in, Pearl. I'm way into pirates. But yeah. uh, we would have the two VHSs and then we'd rent from Blockbuster mm-hmm. one and record onto the other. And I remember it's weird because now – they were double long. They were like six hours so you, or like five hours or whatever. So you could put two on them. Yeah. So to save money and time, my mom would like label two films. And it's so it has oh. this real weird like me and my brothers actually play this game. Like we're like, I'll go like speed. And his job is to name back and yeah, be the second out, uh, movie. And you'd be like the ref. <laughs> that is and they're intrinsically. And, but there's a few good combinations like Money Train uh, and Passenger 57. Well, sure. <laughs> anyway, this is a long tirade, but it's but just it's like, great. it's crazy how we had those unique experiences with movies from the get-go. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My dad used to record them on extended play, so you got yeah. six hours, so you could fit exactly. three movies. <laughs> or you could fit wow. one Hamlet. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. The quality was shittier, though, the, yeah. the longer you made the tape. You guys remember that Mel Gibson's <laughs> Hamlet? I'm getting way too uh, far out. <laughs> yeah, I saw Mel Gibson's Hamlet in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, you saw God, every yeah. movie. I saw every damn movie. Uh, is it him? or Kenneth Branagh where they carry him out like Jesus at the end. Like it's Kenneth crowd. Branagh. It's yeah. Kenneth Branagh. And, yeah. They, yeah. and they pull the red uh, to symbolize blood. It's like, yeah. it's like a movie but they treat it like theater. Because I know I saw both of those because my mom was like, it's Shakespeare, let's watch it. And that's all I remember of either of them is like this specifically Branagh just being Christ for like one shot yeah. and me being like, that's a little bit Christy. I don't yeah, know. That's re- it's real Christy. <laughs> it's as Christy as it gets. Which Except is that's passion a, it's a very inappropriate metaphor for that film. What? The Christ analogy—it's like because he's not a Jesus figure. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> you're right. You're right about it. Like, but some people would beg the differ. I just think that well, it, it's, it was weird that in the Bible Jesus would just be like words, words, words. You know what I mean? He did say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's an off-quoted verse. Like he was chatting when words. he was like <laughs> destroying the temple, and he's just like words. Right. <laughs> Who can forget the words, words, words on the mount? You know, <laughs> a really incredible. God, we're we we are pretty... job security, everybody. <laughs> we're pretty far Making afield right jokes. now. <laughs> I, I've taken us there. Uh, well, no, also, I'm glad I'm glad you guys got into VHSs because yeah, I mean, I my grandma worked at the local library and like the VHS department, so that was how I saw a lot of things. Was like we'd visit oh. her and then we'd like oh, word, yeah. borrow tapes and like I could tell what was popular because it was more rundown, you know, like yeah, the yeah, quality yeah. of the scripts. Uh, yeah, yeah. But the start of these summer blockbusters, I feel like it was before home videos and home yes, laser discs. Yes, yes, hundred percent. Yeah. So it was seventy-five. Really... His Jaws is like the first blockbuster. Yeah. And Tom, when you called it an attraction, that feels like a really apt word for it because like it was a thing of like what will pull people into yeah. these buildings mm-hmm. to go see the only way you can see a movie, hopefully over and over again. Right. Yeah. That was still part of their model because, like, like you said, uh, home video wasn't really a thing yet. Yeah. Um, so yeah. a big part of the of the financial projection of a film was re-release the re-release market how many times you could put it back into theaters Mm. and get all the same tickets again and then 
I think it's towards the end of the 70s that home video really starts becoming an affordable thing. And then into the 80s, I mean, even through, through most of the 80s, affordable, quote unquote, was uh, you could get a copy of Return of the Jedi for $90. And that's $90 in like 1983 oh. money, <laughs> which is like, I think it's like about $200 in today money. My brain was like $5 million. <laughs> Not quite, but yeah, I have... <laughs> 25 minutes. I did a whole I did a whole episode of uh my upcoming show Junk History on this on oh, okay. on the VHS market. So, but yeah, like it's Did you say drunk history? Junk history. Junk, junk history. history. Yes, that makes more sense. Yeah. <laughs> See, it's a pun on yeah. drunk history. And also junk history yeah. is a, is a term in, yeah. in the in, And the entire yeah, performance of Tom is like, junk. <laughs> Or if somebody refers to junk history as poorly researched history, which right. mine is not, but it's the no, history, it's, it's literally the history of junk. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Yeah. But it, and it is amazing that like, because we were talking about Jaws, which was 1975, and then first Star Wars, which I think was just called Star Wars then, like they tacked yeah, oh, on yeah, a new yeah, hope. Yeah. They, they yeah. added a new hope a in new one hope. of its re-releases, actually. But that was 77. Oh, was. Huh? 77, as right. Knows, so yeah. it was that that brief like Ford to Carter period when we like it invented this uh, thing of the summer massive yeah. special effects movie. Yeah, I think it's because out of the gate they uh, kind of nailed it and then people realized it's kind of like in the same way of remember back in like when it was just the big three it was like ABC, CBS, and NBC. They had extravaganzas or live events or times in which you know like summer or a Christmas special they're idea of like how do we program this like what are we gonna do well we're just gonna have like fred astaire come on and he's gonna dance a little bit and then we're gonna have a comedian and <laughs> yeah, battle gonna, the network and stars, then, and then some singers stuff. that are popular just like get all the popular things and put them under the sun this was the first time that i think hollywood realized it was like yeah i mean lawrence arabia was really good you know like there's a lot of really good films we made but then they realized oh block there's a whole bunch of people who just want to watch a popcorn movie and just have be dazzled by the extravagance of special yeah. effects and models and yeah and chases. Jaws, I think, also just happened to have all of the elements of what we talked about right. constitutes a blockbuster. Like there was a lot of buildup to it because the production was such a trouble production that it was in the news for like a year before it came out. Like right. we were talking about this new Universal's new movie, Jaws, is right. you know it's, it's sinking all this money on this new director and everything. So it was in the news a lot. And then when screenings first started, started to get a positive buzz. They started the marketing train early. So the oh, marketing yeah. started pretty early for this movie. So mm. the marketing buildup was like putting the movie in the zeitgeist even more. And then the movie finally released. It was like this, you know, it was like building tension in a movie where it's just like yeah, finally yeah. it's out. Yeah. And people, you know, were standing. Of course, it turns into a big hit and everything. So that's like having dominating the conversation like that right. and then having this big marketing push. And then also it yeah. happens to be an effects movie. It happens to be like a brisk like a two hour, I think that's, it's not something we mentioned at the top, but it, like the runtime of a film, I think like right at two hours is kind of the sweet spot yeah, sure. for a summer movie. Yeah. Yeah. It used to be anyway. Now it's, 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 it, get, it gets pushed longer and longer. It's like a two and a half hours now. Right. Yeah. And it feels brisk too, I think. Like right. it feels yeah, like it's yeah, moving. It goes back. It's very, yeah. yeah. It moves. Like you go back and watch Jaws, that movie, that movie just moves. Like yeah. Yeah. it's two hours long, but it just, everything just keeps going. Um, and that's actually interesting you mentioned that because we're also jumping on uh, Star Wars. If you've seen Empire of Dreams, the uh, the making of documentary, the making of documentary, there's it's a on great, the, it's on the DVDs. Yeah, it's featurette. There's a good, it's like two hours. It's it's a good one. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Uh, also, if we could, if I could, Doug, like real quick with the VHS thing, my VHSs of Star Wars, each tape started with a sit down interview between George Lucas and Leonard Maltin. I have that one. Oh yeah, where, I've seen that. Uh, where yeah. they would just talk about how smart George Lucas was. Right. Yeah, the entire time. Just, like, oh, you're just right. lip service. You're right. I believe right. spoke Better. of no other members of yeah. the crew or yeah. writing it or right. It oh, was just like George, how George, brilliant. George was with George, his vision. George, he's like, yeah. thank 
I know. I know. But George, yeah. George. Yeah. I know. So but rather than watching a compelling documentary about how it was made, right. I had that. Just a little tiny yeah. little, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but in that, there's a section about just because, like, we were talking about how Jaws, the pacing of it, the pacing has it developed the pacing of the uh, blockbuster in the same way that uh, I think Star Wars did because uh, they talk about how in that doc, Originally, he was like, oh, this is not working. And he fired editors and brought in two editors who had worked on martial arts films in order to give it like quickness. Star Wars? On Star Wars, yeah. Oh, wow. So that, that's why Star Wars is paced exceptionally well as well, or very quick. Like, it doesn't waste your time. I think I think I've also heard with that movie that they modeled the dogfight scenes on like World War II aviator movies. Yeah, dogfights between those planes. There's a lot of borrowed <laughs> shots in that movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> from like war photography. Yeah, <laughs> and like other films. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, well, I yeah I almost feel everything. Like could, oh, I almost feel like we could do another trope of big summer blockbusters is like borrowing stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it seems oh, yeah. like that's throughout art, but especially those huge movies later on. You'll I feel like often I find out oh yeah. this much less popular movie. That's kind of where they got the cool thing. There's so many movies like uh, Battleship Potemkin. You guys know that film? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. there's eight sequences that like people have just like Brian De Palma's just like I'll take that. <laughs> you know, like everyone is just like <laughs> thieved from these movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't even say Spielberg is he's not beyond that. In fact, he did a good thing though because when he made Schindler or he made a uh, Saving Private Ryan, Janusz Kaminski was the cinematographer, and he, that guy shot the Hungarian documentary that Spielberg wa- watched and was like, I got to make Saving Private Ryan. So he actually oh. reached out to the filmmaker that he was stealing from, employed them. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, he's kind of uh, Machiavellian in that way. <laughs> well, it's also like, it's the good kind of it. Yeah, it's like, yeah, right. It's like but paying he, him to take his stuff. He's just like, I'm Spielberg. Nice to meet you. You're mine. <laughs> and they've been working. Well, they, he's, he's shot a few of his movies. Yeah, he did uh, Minority Report as well. I hope he also made like a documentary about about like yeah. about uh, like naked people Pre-cox. in pods predicting <laughs> yeah. crime. And right. it's like I need you for this movie. Janus, <laughs> be here. A dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the, yeah, those two they got us in a matter of three years. They got the blockbuster going. Yeah, yeah. Tom, when you're talking about Jaws having such a promotional campaign behind it and that being new, that is it's kind of fascinating how recent that is in movie history to me because like i think about how wonder woman came out this year Mm -hmm. and that's what 42 years later and people were talking specifically about how they felt it was under marketed in particular ways that we expect from these movies right and they only invented that 42 years ago right it's a it's the it's amazing yeah it's an industry that they it's a sub industry of of movies that they created like uh, the movie industry created for us that we now come to expect and experience in its own way, kind of almost separately from the movie. It's like a few episodes ago, we were talking about the idea of summer vacation. Yeah. And we were talking about South of the Border and how like just (laughs) driving past the billboards is an experience. Yeah. If you haven't heard that one, it is a sort of tourist trappy place in the Carolinas with billboards about every mile. And uh, it's sort of a Mexican themed park. Right. And all the billboards are just these bombastic things involving gigantic props and everything and just driving you never have to actually stop at the attraction itself you just drive past the billboards and that becomes like that was a fixture of my summer vacation so it's like the marketing campaigns of these films become a fixture like you expect at least i did for a while expected we do this still now too like the teaser trailers and then the trailer itself yeah and then like tie-in stuff well they'll well they'll show up and do cute things on like twitter or social media stuff to promote the film like you know guesting on saturday night live 
having a music video tie-in used to be a huge thing for mm-hmm. these films. Yeah. So that was all... Such a summer movie thing. Yeah. So it was all like part of, of getting ready for this movie to come out, you know, getting glasses from McDonald's or like... <laughs> that, I yeah. was thinking when you were talking about Twitter and, and the internet teasers and teasers and teasers, I was thinking like, oh, what was the one when I was a kid? I think it was McDonald's toys. Yeah, you we get, get yeah. yeah, you get the heavy yeah. toys. Uh, Jurassic Park had cups at McDonald's. Merchandising. Yeah. Oh, man, those, J, those JP cups, man. And I, I want to also mention, because like, so this boom is happening in early 80s. Yeah. The other contributor to this is, do you guys remember the poster for Alien, which is 79, I believe? Mm-hmm. It's, it's that one of the most pop, or it's the most f- famous poster I think of all time. It's the one in in space, no one can hear you scream. Yeah, and, and, and it's, it's the, the egg, egg cracking open with yeah. some green light. A great poster was like the fanfare that Tom's talking about it to me. Now they're still there, but they feel like graveyards uh, in terms of like when you go to the theater and like. You remember how, like, I remember you just spend time going down the line. And granted, we live in L.A., so we have, you know, like, the arc light, but, like, there's the Cinerama and stuff like that. They have these long hallways where you just, like, look at posters and see yeah. what's coming up. Well, yeah, and, like, and and back the, home, I, we had that, too. The posters would be out front, and you'd get the big lobby standards. And it used yeah. to be, you know, pre-internet. You used to not know everything about every movie before it came out. Right. So it's like you could legit be surprised, like... I knew they were making a Jurassic Park movie, but I didn't know when it was coming out. And then yeah. all of a sudden, one day I was at the movies and I saw the lobby, big cardboard stand-up for Jurassic Park. It's this right. Jeep driving through the gate into the, into the park, and you can see some dinosaurs oh. off in the distance. And I lost my fucking mind yeah. when I saw that. <laughs> I remember when... I was I, like, I, J, if you were alive when JP came out, anyone in the audience, you'll remember. It was absolutely like it, it changed the game for kids, or at least for me. I remember yeah. I actually like I... They actually had a JP newsletter. Yeah, and uh, and they would release a, a paper. Really? Yeah. And this was before the first one came out. This was uh, it was like simultaneous too. Wow. And I remember I signed up for it before I'd seen the movie. That's incredible. It was yeah. all build up to the movie. Yeah, it was all build like... up. And it was like dinosaur facts. Like it was all kind of education driven. Yeah. But it was mostly like look at the font. The font looks so cool. Doesn't yeah. Cool. Oh, look. Oh, I can't, you know, I can't wait to see what this part of the movie is going to look like. You know, it's, it's built up. You know, the toys would release a little bit early so you could see yeah. the toys in the store. Uh, yeah. Like we mentioned, those McDonald's cups. Holy shit. Yeah. When those things drop, when it, we, was one, we, we were coming back from the beach one day, me and my brother and my mom, we stopped at McDonald's on the way over from the beach yeah. and we just didn't know they had them already. And then they handed us our sodas in this giant Tyrannosaurus cup. I was like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, and that, and, uh, so excited. Yeah. <laughs> like, I th- and that's, I think we're hitting on a couple really, uh, other really huge summer movie factors. One of them being, you're talking about the poster for Alien. I think poster yeah. is so key. Like Jaws is another one where that poster is such an icon and such a pre-other media it makes draw you, of just, yeah. oh, what's going to happen with that shark or that egg? Like, yeah. I don't know. It's one that they never fucked yeah. with either because the original novel is that picture for Jaws. It's just, it's a kind of oh. cruder version of it. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a very, very kind of crap drawing, honestly. It's like if right. you drew it on a napkin versus the post that we all know. So they, they figured that one out earlier. And we're like, this is it. And yeah, like you said with Alien and then Jurassic Park, it's just really the logo. Yeah. Yep. That's um, another thing too, like a key logo for the poster or just in general. Like Jurassic Park's got to be one of the all-time movie logos. That was, yeah, a hell yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> That's an amazing yeah. logo. And it's funny because you think of something like <laughs> E.T. and it's just like, I don't know, some guy scribbled some shit. The font though for E.T. <laughs> yeah. is like you can... It's re- memorable. Yeah, but I think that E.T. font. Yeah, yeah. It's memorable, but I think it becomes memorable because it's like, A, 
once it came out, no one was like, no one can use this font. That's the ET font. So it became right. singular because it's seminal, but also because the movie was so goddamn good, you're just going to remember that. I think there's something above and beyond about JP's logo because it looks like a thing. They marketed it like it was an actual theme park. There's a lot of things about that logo that uh, like it feels like it's more than a movie. Yeah. yeah, it's an attraction. Yeah, like it, yeah, it goes yeah. back pretty literally. I thought that was like pretty proto-viral marketing on their part. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And then as far as teaser trailers, we mentioned Alien <laughs> for the poster. Alien, the trailer for Alien changed how trailers are made. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that shit. Where it's just, it's like if you, trailers used to be one, where you watch a trailer for Jaws, it's pretty, it's, it's cornball. Yeah. But like... Trailers beforehand, first of all, they call them trailers because they used to show them at the end of the movie right. for kids out there who <laughs> may the... not remember that. I mean, I'm, I was not even alive when yeah, that was a thing. I'm... But like... when, you, when you said showed them for, I thought you were going to be like for the guy cleaning the theater after everyone's right. left. Like... Yeah. No, they used, to show, they, they used to show previews at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, no. That's why they call them trailers. Post views. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> but they used to just kind of be real, just very, very simple it's going to be this person and this person in this movie. See it. And, it, you know, it was just very... They're always pitching yeah. you, like, yeah. they're showing you, let me show you footage and you're going to want to buy it. Yeah. Yeah, it was always that. It wasn't one man, you know. Yeah, like, there wasn't an art to it. And then Alien, you should, everyone listening should pause and watch the Alien trailer on YouTube. It's only, like, a minute long. This is a movie that came out in the late 70s, but, like, you'll recognize that, oh, like, this is how... All trailers are made now. Yeah, yeah. It, it, w- it was like a new format yeah. in that system that people all looked at and went, oh, shit, that's new and different, and maybe we should be unique ourselves. Mm. Just getting back to posters real quick, because we talked about the two. Also, the Star Wars poster is, like, if you remember the first two posters of mm. it, yeah. the original ones, uh, super memorable. And it was just doing what, like, B-serials were doing before it, like, yeah, Quartermain yeah. shit, I think we talked about. Yeah. But, I mean, super memorable because it made it seem like, oh, shit, there's a guy in a dark helmet and then there's this dude and there's a princess oh my god and everyone looked like they were like coming from i pictured the person saying that perfectly yeah yeah. they they appeared in my head that star wars that star wars poster is uh is kind of the template for most posters now yeah it's it's very crowded it's a very crowded poster yeah i want to see like all the characters and that's kind of like how we see posters now is it shows you like all the cast kind of smushed together and there's like some kind of shit like planes or a, a technodrome or whatever flying by can't wait for the uh new avengers infinity war movie to come out with that style where it's just like a Brady's bunch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just split screen. It just looks like a yearbook. Hi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm one of them. Right. <laughs> also me. Cameo. The Star Wars poster, I think that was a Drew Struzan one. Yeah. his name? And he... The, yeah. I, what's the very first one? Or at least he worked him? on them. Uh, he definitely did... He had that style. Right. Yeah, he, he did the indie yeah. ones as well. He did the indie ones. He did Empire and Jedi. Yeah, um, yeah. Right. He did the very famous Empire one. There were lots of different posters. But yeah, throughout like the 80s, he did Back to the Future. Like Drew Struzan was responsible for a lot of that yeah. style of It's of like the, and it's that Star Wars... I especially think of it with Star Wars and indie where like... I don't know exactly how to describe it artistically, but I, I my adjective is like fady. Like it's just the characters kind of fading into each other right. in a collage. Yeah, and, and like you would think scene. that would be a yeah. mess, but it's like Fading. perfect. It just works. Right, it's very artfully done. The I think the key difference between those posters and the ones we do now is that these old posters, the Struzan ones, are painted. Yeah, and uh, the ones we see now are Photoshop. And they're everything. The, everything <laughs> looks the best it can possibly look if your criterion is like clean and like sleek. 
back then it was more because they didn't have those tools or they had rudimentary formats of, you know, Photoshop and stuff. They weren't developed to that point where you can just control everything. So they kind of dipped their shoulder into the kind of creative artifice of just poster design. Right. Yeah. It was, it was, it was more, this was at a point in time where it was more cost effective to hire a guy to paint your movie poster. It was like (laughs) kind of creative. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, So there's an art to it. Yeah. Definitely having a cool poster that you could later buy and hang in your room. Definitely part of a summer movie. You mentioned E.T. before, and that seems like one where also the poster is such an icon, where it's just the two fingers meeting and the font and everything. And Mm -hmm. that's another uh, Spielberg one that comes up on the show. Yeah, yeah. It's a a big thing. And then later, obviously, the bicycle in front of the moon. Well, both of them. Yeah. Isn't there a poster that's on the front, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The the original one is the the, the fingers, and I think they use... Yeah, and right. then the Moon one is for, like, re-releases and junk. Yeah, that one's super iconic. In 1985, Enemy Mine came out, <laughs> and it kind of has a similar poster design in that, like, one half of it is dominated by a familiar face, and the other half is alien. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, alien. And uh, I think E.T. probably has a lot to give that, because there's something evocative about, like, oh, that is a weird finger. And then you see it with a kid in a bite. You know there's so much promise of adventure in this movie. Because you know that, first off, it's got a big sci-fi thing. There's aliens in this movie. Also, that kid is flying on a bike, and I'm a kid, and I have a bike. Maybe if I get an alien, (laughs) I'll fly. You know, like, it's, there's so much, it's so catered to, like, the mind of a child that that's why I think... E.T. was a great summer movie because that's winning our generation at, you know, the time that we were kids. At that time, getting, like, young boys and girls into movies is what motivated a summer blockbuster to even have. I was going to say, that's, that's, that's the other element that we hadn't talked about. Mom, being, Dad. Yeah. Being a kid when the movie came out, yeah. I think, was a part of, a big part of a, a right. summer movie. Because, sure. at least for me, it was. Because nothing dominated my mind. <laughs> Like, right. the big movie that was coming out. And that was true mostly for the 90s for me. But, I mean, like, you know, in the 80s, I think that's what E.T. was. Yeah, 100%. That, yeah. This is the fostering of this uh, environment where it's like the expectation is that during the summer there will be a big blockbuster. Was, you know, you set them, set them right up. You know, yeah. Jaws, Star Wars, Aliens, E.T., you know, Indiana Jones. This list what is... What a run. What a run. <laughs> yeah, pretty sweet. Yeah. yeah. You want to just... Guys just want to, like... I said, watch those movies. Name movies. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, folks, we are in a strange time. It's an age of big lies and fake news. Luckily, True TV's hit educational comedy, Adam Ruins Everything, proves that truth has its merits and gives you the facts with a heaping helping of comedy. Host and investigative comedian Adam Conover is back to reveal the hidden truths behind everything you know and love as the second season of Adam Ruins Everything returns to ruin your life with knowledge, but uh, but like in a positive way. You get it. If knowledge is power, then Adam Conover will have you laughing all the way to the top. We all have a lot of misconceptions about the world, and some of them are about pretty important stuff. Going to college, going to the hospital, having a baby. These are things that impact your life, and Adam gives you not just fun facts to share with your friends, but information that will make you see the world in a whole new way and probably have a better experience of living in it. Watch all new episodes of Adam Ruins Everything Tuesdays on True TV or catch them on demand and at truetv.com. Folks, today's episode is brought to you by Casper. The Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. There's supportive memory foams in there that create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink, just the right bounce. Your body will be happy about it. 
Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home, and if you don't love it, they will pick up the mattress and refund you everything. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering you're going to spend a third of your life on it. Use those 100 nights. Make them count. There's free shipping and returns to the U.S. and Canada, and with over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars, that's good, folks. It's quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. I'm not a big internet user myself, but if I were, I'd give them one of those positive reviews myself. It's a very, very comfortable mattress, and it turns out sleeping well is kind of nice. So thank you, Casper. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash cracked and using the offer code cracked. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's casper.com slash cracked, and you can read cracked right off our logo. Well, also with with uh, making an impact on kids, uh, I think E.T.'s a classic summer movie in another attribute where it had pretty heavy product placement. Oh, yeah. I think oh, that's, that's right. such a, a summer movie thing. Reese's uh, Pieces. You see it with Reese's Pieces and E.T. You see it with basically every inch of the Transformers franchise, mm. which is some of the worst movies, but definitely summer movies. Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. They're so calibrated to that exact thing. They always take place in summer, don't they? I think yeah. so. It's always in L.A. It or some shit, man, if you feel the heat. So it's like sunny. There's a lot of sweaty Michael Bay's people. Usually, yeah, Michael yeah. Bay's good about like showing heat in films. Right, he doesn't want Megan Fox in a coat. No. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Took me a while, but I got there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Michael, yeah. Bay, Michael Bay makes very sweaty movies. Yeah. <laughs> and it, like, it, there's grime in his movies, yep. you know? Like, so you got these machines and they got oil. and It's weird that they're so polished. I would always thought that I'm getting away from myself. Transformers but... would be all like dinged up and rusty. Yeah, and that would be cooler. I wish there was a, we should reboot Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> Million dollar idea. <laughs> We should make Transformers one again. <laughs> they're gonna do it, you know. They're gonna oh, yeah, do yeah, it yeah, in yeah, like almost a certainly. few years. Because yeah. this one's dead now. I think the last night just came out a few weeks ago. Yeah. yeah well. Yeah. It's not doing great. <laughs> but do you think they're gonna keep going, or are they gonna? Uh, I think. I mean, yeah. they made. They just made another pirates movie, and that movie only performs overseas now. So I think it's just as long as the movies continued performing overseas, pirates our sure. greatest export. Yeah. To the world. <laughs> to me, the list that I just gave, like, those are the big contenders. Would you disagree? Is there other contenders I'm not thinking of? Yeah, I, I think we've, because we've had a lot of movies that I think are definitely in the Hall of Fame in consideration. We talked about Jaws, Star Wars, we talked about Alien. Also, Alien, Alien jumps out to me as sort of an outlier for these because I feel like summer tends not to be a huge time for horror you know, and I think yeah. maybe the science fiction hook and the novelty of it was enough to make it work anyway. But it, it feels like it's such a surprisingly scary movie for summer to me. I feel like they're yeah. so aimed at fall and Halloween that mm. it's sort of a weird choice. They can do well, though. I think The Conjuring recently was a summer movie and that, that yeah. blew up. And then similarly, I think that one was also R-rated. But yeah, that's the, the other thing that makes it an outlier is that it's an R-rating. But I mean, unlike The Conjuring, Alien's a hard R. Because also we were talking about kind of runs where there were an amazing set of summer movies. These are the top four highest grossing films of 1996, okay? Going number four, The Rock. Number three, Mission Impossible. Number two, Twister. Number one, Independence Day. <sighs> Holy cow. What, what a, a year. year. That was a hell of a summer, yeah. I How did we do it? All four of those could make the cut, I think. Yeah, all four of those could make Probably, yeah. I, yeah the, I, I would take Mission Impossible I would take Mission off. off, yeah. Just because that's a series that's still going and it's like, it's not a movie... I mean, it was definitely a big summer movie, 
Would you say the first mission was the best of that series? No, I wouldn't. I think the Brad Bird one, Ghost, yeah. Ghost Protocol, I think is the best of the series. I think you're probably right about that. I agree. I and that's, that's weird... tough to be said about a franchise. Usually they're all... Mission Impossible does something that the Alien franchise also did, where each movie is directed by a very different filmmaker. Yes. Yeah. And they allowed that filmmaker to make their kind of yeah. movie. Like yeah. uh, Alien, the first Alien's Ridley Scott, and he made this just dark, oppressive horror movies. Second one is Aliens with Jim Cameron. He made yeah. an action movie. Third yeah. one is David Fincher. He made a David Fincher movie as much as he could at that time because right. he was starting out and they really just hired a, a music video director that they could push around. But it's still recognizably a David Fincher film. And then the fourth one, Alien Resurrection, is directed by... Is French, it Genet? Genet. Yeah. yeah. He directed City of Lost Children. Mm. Yeah. Um, he's a French director with... A I think Amelie, right? Yes, yes, Jean-Pierre yeah. Genet, yeah, also Amelie. He's a French director with a very specific yeah. visual style, and yeah. he made his version of an alien movie. And it's uh, a lot Which of people... set in Paris. Yeah. And, uh... It's all about Audrey Tattoo uh, <laughs> finds the alien's photograph in a, in a photo booth. There, there's train just, station. Well, no, there's just this... It was weird that at one point we got into, like, the head of the alien... And the alien was just talking about orgasms. <laughs> yeah. And like desserts that it likes to eat. Yeah. But no, it's like. If one of you out there wants to cut together a trailer for Amelie Resurrection, I'll watch it. <laughs> right. I'm, yeah. I'm on board. Amelie yeah, giving that like, weird ass smile to an alien. Yeah. <laughs> Some soundtrack that's fairly in. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It would, it would be Death Cab for Cutie or something. Um, <laughs> postal oh, service. The, the angsty alien. Yeah. Angsty yeah. alien. The Decemberists. <laughs> and then uh, you have the Mission Impossible series. The first one is yeah, Brian De Palma. Yeah, first one's Palma. Brian De Palma. Good call. Second one's yes. John Woo. Yeah. So the first one, Brian De Palma. It's like a Brian oh, De Palma yeah. movie. It's kind of like it's it's kind of like a, a an espionage kind of. Sp- yeah. It's much more of a spy movie. The second one is John Woo, and it's a fucking John Woo movie. <laughs> yeah. Like all the doves. Because yeah, there's some doves. I, when you when we thought about John Woo and the doves, I was like, I hope they do a John Woo month on Crack Movie Club because they could just count up the doves. We could get week a, to we week. Definitely could. You know? uh, we, I, That'd be great. Yeah, me and my just friend I actually have total. a running dove count. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh no, <laughs> it's phenomenal. Yeah. I do hard boil. I forget where it's at. <laughs> it's like 108 or something. A lot like of dubs. <laughs> a lot of dubs. It was just a thing that in college we decided, like, John Woo does dubs, right? And he's like, that's literally the only thing that anyone knows about John Woo. But he's got dove fetish, apparently. Yeah, he likes doves. <laughs> he likes dudes diving to the air with two hands. Yeah, so we started a count. Yeah, the two best things, right? Right, they're amazing. <laughs> and then J.J. Uh, Abrams, I think, did Mission Impossible 3. Yeah. And then Brad Bird does uh, Mission Impossible God, 4. Brad Bird, I love you. I think Christopher McQuarrie did the last one. He at least wrote Oh, it. yeah. I think oh. he and Tom Cruise are tight. Yeah. yeah. Like, they, they, they work together. He's running now. the show now. I mean, Cruise, Cruise oh, for yeah. the last well, sense, been. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, I get to decide what I yeah. do. It's getting to be a bad example of what I was talking about now because they're all, like you said, Tom Cruise is running the show, so they're all getting kind of samey. But, like, the first yeah. couple were very different. And yeah. I think that's, if you're going to make sequels, that's a fun way to do it. We got kind of off track there. No, no, no. Great. What were no, the other ones? We're, we're, we're saying Mission Impossible doesn't... It gets count out of well, the and list. I and I want to say that's, right. that's interesting to me because I think maybe it's just because it's a spy movie or something. Because when we were prepping this, I looked back at James Bond movies 
and only a few of them are summer movies. The rest are in fall or not a thing, even though they're yeah. blockbusters every time. Like, they're blockbusters even before people were kind of doing that. I think that. They, from GoldenEye, it seems to me that they pretty firmly branded James Bond as a November movie. Yes. Yeah, so they they did all but one of the Roger Moore movies in the summer, mm-hmm. and then other than that, there's one Connery one and the two Dalton ones are yeah, summer, yeah. and that's I remember, it. I remember seeing License to Kill yeah. in the so theater like, of the summer. I feel, I feel like Roger Moore was like light enough for summer, and then right. everybody else, like right. Connery, Brosnan, Craig, they've been like, no, we're hardcore Thanksgiving guys. That's, yeah. that's our vibe. You mentioned in GoldenEye, because GoldenEye is also one of the more like like it's got a lot of things. It's been in a, it long that all, a lot hiatus, of hiatus. Yeah, yeah, long hiatus, it. but it's got a lot of Bond things. Like it's not just the rom- romance, but it's got like more set pieces. It's got more gadgets. Yeah, like the Russians it's, are it's, back. It's more Bondy than we used to. Because remember, like by the time it was starting to die out earlier, when it was, they weren't as unpopular. I'm not talking about like Moonraker him fighting drug dealers. Yeah, yeah, it, it started to get pretty like relatively close to earth but now we got like technology and gold night going back to like the center of this conversation i think it's important to point out that for a summer blockbuster to truly be like stereotypical or like the archetype of it yeah i think i would also toss jaws out because jaws is at a time of blockbuster where and also horror anything that's a specific anything that's like a specific genre i think they get taken out by things like Jurassic Park, where it's an extravaganza that has everything. You got horror, oh. you got fun. If you can list as many types of genre, then I think adventure is the, is the adventure catch-all. might be the catch-all. That's yeah. yeah. And Jurassic so, Park is basically an adventure. I think Indiana Jones ones, ET. Because if you something that's coming clear to me thinking about it, but also talking to you guys about it, is that all of the big ones are our eyes light up on the adventure ones in particular. Even though there's definitely other genres that are in this conversation, I think the adventure ones have it. That's so, that's dead on. But even like thinking about indie, yeah. Raiders has scary moments, but it's not a horror movie. It's an like adventure There's just movie. moments yeah. where he's surrounded by snakes yeah. or everybody's yeah. melting or something. That's why I was getting back to Alien, because we kind of immediately kind of dismissed it. Not a, like the films are great, but we we're like, yeah, but it's like trying different things in different movies. Yeah. Indie is constantly indie all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jurassic yeah. Park. I mean, it's just Jurassic Park. Yeah, that's that's all that. There's, that is an adventure film series. Yeah. Um, I didn't think superhero movies they're difficult to classify. There's yeah. a, there's yes. adventure elements in them. There's also action that's, elements. That's right. I would like include Burton Batman and reject Nolan Batman. Maybe you know it's a weird balance oh, with some of those. Where, yeah, I think yeah. so because Nolan Batman is rejected on my list of my criteria specifically because there's not a lot of mm-hmm. merchandising fanfare build up to. I it. agree. There wasn't a music video tie-in. There wasn't like. I there wasn't there, there wasn't music yeah. no there wasn't, seal had a kiss from a rose again <laughs> there wasn't there wasn't the same there wasn't the just same again. fanfare yeah, build up surrounding Dark it Rises, yeah. the lyrics are just about how he's back like yeah. well we're doing this again yeah, yeah. Like, that's really cool <laughs> i mean it had like oh there was anticipation because it was a new batman movie but it didn't have the same build up and spectacle around it that the previous batman series the entire right. batman series did right. like Burton's Batman's the only one I'd put. Well, I would also put Batman Forever on this on summer movie list. Yes, yeah, yeah. But they all had the same kind of push with like merchandising and you know posters and trailer buildups and like multimedia stuff and really just pushing it as like this is the big thing to do this summer is to watch this goddamn Batman movie. Yeah. <laughs> like actually, and with with stuff built around it, I think I'd want to bring in one other factor, which I think is like super fun soundtrack. Like yeah, like, oh yeah, 100%. Burton Batman. Yeah, they yeah. brought in Prince. 
Yes. Oh man. Prince know? wrote too much music. <laughs> like they asked him, they asked, oh, let's get Prince to do the soundtrack. And he came to them with like an absurd amount of music. And they're right. like, we cannot use all of this. I have a theory actually why, because I'm tacit agreement with both of you. I, and it's like, I can't put my finger on exactly why, but it just feels right. But I think I have an argument. The reason I think it ties back into the advent, uh, adventure, action adventure thing is the reason we like the first Batman, the first Batman, it didn't take itself as seriously as the Nolan remakes, right? It, it did in a different kind of way. Yeah. Like Burton's Batman is very operatic. It's very operatic, but it's like, it's okay to have fun with itself. It's not right. saying that it's demeaning itself in its own thing, it like is, a satire. It is, it is dark, but it also exists. It's a fantasy. He's dancing around. Yeah, yeah. it's a fantasy you movie. Know, it's it a fan- exists in a, mo- in a reality that is not hours. So here's what I'm arguing is I'm arguing the reason that it reaches a maximum velocity in terms of like trajectory of movie, you know, getting most of the culture, you're going to play pretty close to the center, right? And someone who like comes in with a very specific, unique style, you know, Amelie, Fucking Amelie Resurrection. Resurrection. Yes. Resurrection. Right. Someone who comes in with something like a Nolan, who still did big, and I still think he's pretty close to center. But because there's like a, it's like a Brodin Batman now and stuff like that, like because they have a kind of stylistic approach that's dark or gritty, or it doesn't look like the thing that came before it. Not that it can't be a seminal work, but it ne- it doesn't become like. Everyone wants to reinvigorate Jurassic Park again or those types of movies where it's just like, remember the time you went to that thing and everyone had a bunch of fun and it was super popular and it was a cultural phenomenon? It looks and feels exactly like those things. So things that are a little less toward that center are not going to do as well in a summer I don't think Nolan did that. Huh? I don't think Nolan did that. Because the original Batman had... It was such a phenomenon. Its marketing campaign was just that bat symbol. You know, it had mm. a lot of buildup and expectation to it, which the Nolan one had as well. Merchandising was crazy for it. Yeah. Like it dominated Times Square that summer, just this gigantic bat symbol in it. And Christian it was, Bale was pretty star on the rise kind of thing. So. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. I think Christopher Nolan legit didn't do the thing you're talking about. Where it's like, hey, remember when you saw this thing? Well, here we're trying to. Re- he wasn't trying to reproduce Tim Burton's Batman, right? I and I agree with you. I'm just. Oh, okay. I'm. I'm saying because this is coming from you guys. We were just talking about the OG Batman, mm-hmm. not Adam West, but Burton. Yeah, that felt more like a blockbuster than even. Yeah, hundred yeah, yeah, percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that might be why. I think it's because it's it's packaged. It's delivered to you before you've seen it, and marketed as a fun. One stop shop of all the experiences that you go to, reasons you go to a movie. There's going to be heart. There's going to be fun. There's going to be scares. There's mm-hmm. going to be thrills, because that's very much how in those old days that's how they pitched. Uh, right. Yeah, they pitched them like amusement park rides. Yeah, they're like, yeah, you'll be the saddest you've ever been, and then you'll cry, and then you'll, and then you'll laugh, laugh. Yeah. jovially, yeah. and then yeah, like. <laughs> Which my favorite thing about like that's the best pitch for a movie is like it's just the equivalent of a guy like you ever have that friend who's just like. Oh, you haven't seen that? Oh my God, I got to tell you what it's all about. He's like, but then I'm going to know. <laughs> and yeah. he's like, no, but then it just really happens. And it's all. And it's just like, <laughs> what all, the fuck are you talking And that's the about? other thing that the other element of a summer movie, I think, is not to be one. Th- it, like you said, genre films rarely. Yeah. It's because you don't want to be one thing, you want to be all the things. Exactly. <laughs> I yeah, must yeah. be all of the things. Um, right. And no one's movies are all like these. No one's movies feel like endurance trials. To yes, they do. I mean, they're very. They're very taxing. They're very yeah. singular, too. Yeah, and they also, yeah. apart from Batman Begins, Batman Begins came out in June. The other two, Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, came out at the end of July. So it was so like, weird. they really <laughs> yeah. made you, like, they were waiting out almost the entire summer. So it, it like, yeah. 
Dark Knight especially was like an excruciating wait. I think <laughs> I think Nolan takes oh, himself no, entirely yeah. seriously. Maybe yeah. he doesn't. Maybe the man is you know totally at center with his ego. But uh, the, all those movies are like this is really high. like the stakes are always super high, and I don't know why. But when I watch Tim Burton's Batman, yes, the stakes are high because like Gotham could blow up. But it's still, but it's also got whack. You know, it's still a fun movie to watch. Yeah, Nolan's movies I think are good, but they're not particularly fun to watch. And mm. that's like that's yeah. also the problem that I have with the the latest slate of uh, DC films, apart yeah. from Wonder Woman. Yeah, I'm one of those weirdos who didn't hate Batman vs Superman. Uh-huh. I do concede that it's not a fun movie to watch. <laughs> like you yeah. don't, you don't, you don't watch that movie and have like a blast. Yeah, it was, like, punishing. <laughs> it was a punishing experience. It's so like it. You don't feel good. It's like such a. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think that's <laughs> yeah, and then that, that's definitely a criteria. Is that it's a fun movie to watch. It, compare like, it to yeah. like an Indiana Jones or right. or its best sequel, The Mummy. Like, sure. They yeah. all. Mummy's a great movie to watch. Oh, it's like you have so much fun watching that movie. And looking across superhero movies, because that is an interesting. I think that it, you're right. It is key. Like it needs to be fun, and it needs to be also right. a broad number of things. And so with a superhero movie, maybe it's difficult because it's so driven by one character with crazy powers. You know. Right. Yeah. Superhero right. movies are are self limiting because I, of what they have to be as superhero films. Yeah. And as I, I was thinking back about like what ones from the superhero era might qualify, I think Guardians of the Galaxy definitely qualifies. The very first Iron Man. Very first Iron Man, yeah. That that's that also was very a summary. Incredible summary movie. Because yeah. it was like it came out in beginning of May. Yeah. There were there were not a lot of expectations behind right. it. Nope. And it had cool slurpy cups. Um, so there's cool marketing. Yeah. Um, it had all the ACDC stuff and it dominated oh, cool. the conversation. I forget that the fourth Indiana Jones movie came out the same month because it's like right. all about Iron Man. That, that yeah. Right. Yeah. It's so summary. It beat an Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. Like it was, that is, that is a, I think the first Iron Man is definitely in the hall of fame of great summer movies. Remember when Got Marvel me. was an underdog guys? Yeah. <laughs> Cause they also released the incredible Hulk that summer. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a punishing opposite of that. Yeah, uh, that was a real bummer. <laughs> the most recent, like, it dominated the conversation for us. I feel like this year it's been Get Out, but going back two years, because I don't think that came out during summer, right? Get out, no, out, Get Out like, came in like January. Yeah, yeah, right. Or, yeah, um, it was it was in spring, and it, and that actually I talked on a previous episode of the show about how the release date lowered my expectations for Get yeah. Out because it was at a time when I was like, oh yeah, yeah, no, they they don't. This is when they dump their pile trash. The good movies. Yeah. Then, the hack is working. No, it's just they put good movies whenever now. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm excited for that. I yeah. want that to be. The, a before <laughs> then, to me, there wasn't a film that really dominated the conversation that much since 2015 Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, that dominated a lot of things. I mean. It, his coming out of retirement and all that stuff to make a film. I mean, George Miller coming yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah, and just the idea of, like, it being a female-driven cast and stuff like that. Like, there was just so many aspects of it that, like, people were talking about that movie for a long time after that movie came out. It so it's the longevity that's important. And that was a summer movie. Summer movie. It's an adventure movie. It's an adventure movie. It's a movie. fun movie to watch. Yeah, it's got a um, wa- it's wacky. It's got a wacky, wacky parts st- in it. stylistic approach, but nothing that like really informs like the format of it. Meaning like if I love to look at structure. Structurally, it's just a save the cat. It's you a know? chase, yeah. Yeah, it's just a chase sequence. But there's so much just like the witness me and the weirdness of the that world and how crazy it is. That is a huge stylistic offering. But that's kind of why we sign up for those types of films. Yeah. And the Guardians of the Galaxy is the same way. Not in the same tone, but just the fact that it, like, hey, let's throw some... Uh, 
music at it and make it seem like it's a like something like Tarantino would do, not something that like a Marvel movie would do with our soundtrack. That's yeah. enough of a stylistic offer to make it memorable. And Guardians felt like a hangout, like it, like yeah. the music was a mixtape. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, yeah, it's yeah. very it was, yeah. Teenage. And you have Everyman yeah. Pratt over there who's just like. <laughs> Just one of the boys, you know, like, yeah. I'm handsome now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and yeah, Mad Max is such a good one to pick out, too, because I, I feel like sort of like how Aliens is almost an outlier where it's a little too right. dark and a little too horror filled. I feel like Mad Max is like almost a little too serious. Like I, it fits. It it's it's so well made. It's still a summer movie. But I feel like one quality that might be a summer movie thing is that it's never that heavy. Like it's never that heavy. At, I agree. About, issues or even about tone for the most part right i think that that's important because that means that everyone's going to enjoy the movie but no one's you're not going to get a lot from the side of like people who well i don't like this movie's problematic or this movie has this or i don't like the statement like that's why my it's interesting like remember that in the michael bay which transformers i don't know which one because i can't i've lost count of how many it's just the shot of the texas law about man. oh that's fourth the fourth one. one fourth one the romeo and juliet like, law like what what a weird offer for those yeah. for those who haven't seen it uh, there's a part in transformers 4 where uh there's a young man and a young woman character who are like clearly a couple right and the issue is brought up on screen of hey is she too young for you and then the male character has a laminated copy of the state's romeo and juliet law in his wallet which he pulls out to justify the uh the sexual the, relationship yeah. they're having despite their age and, and so they, they sit on it for a minute they like sit the on it because it zooms in on that card to let you yeah. read it so because he wants you to read it and the problem is it's a little bit long because it's in legal jargon that's such a weird statement to put in a movie. Yeah. And it's also like you never see any of those like filmmaker hackneyed in a Guardians of the Galaxy or, you know, a <laughs> fun movie. You, you never, yeah, you never see anybody trying to justify why this 22 year old is having sex with a 17 year old. <laughs> I mean, beside the fact that it's a very strange thing to like fall on a spear for, right. but like, yeah. uh, <laughs> honestly. I'm just saying that that tone that we're talking about, that kind of ineffable quality we're, we're saying where it's like it takes itself seriously, but only to an extent it has this much style. Yeah. I think it's like you got to look at the franchises that they're all business all the time. That's, I think Transformers is an example of that, being, uh, of being just – Transformers to me is a very cynical series. Yeah, It's yeah. very much just a, we have part A, part B, part C. This is all the things we need to do to make tons of money. We have – a gigantic Budweiser truck. We have scenes in China. Here are these robots that <laughs> are toys. Yeah. But it's a very cynical. There's no, there's no joy in any of those movies. No. Like yeah. not like the feeling you get from like a Guardians, or like or like an Indiana Jones, or like an ET, or. I think people call it like heart. You know. Like yeah. It's, it's, it's a very it, Michael Bay is bad about this, but his films are very mean spirited, and Transformers in particular is a very cynical film series to me. Like the opposite mm -hmm. of it would yeah. be because it's a big dumb movie, but it also insults the intelligence of its audience well, well, and it like makes you feel dumb for watching it i think the the example of the the opposite of that which is something we haven't brought up which we probably should is the fast and furious series yes oh, okay. yeah, yeah that's a been a dominating summer movie. it hasn't always been a summer well no the first one was a summer movie also internationally it's been internationally it's a huge movie crazy. and that's a that's a movie series that it's on its umpteenth we just had the eighth one which is insane <laughs> uh but like it's not really showing any signs of slowing down and big yeah. and it's it's full of big dumb loud act like I'm, I'm saying dumb by like impossible cartoonish action but like you can watch that movie it doesn't insult its audience's intelligence and there's like you can watch that movie and there's like 
joy to it. Like there's a joy, there's yeah. like a heart to Fast and Furious. It feels weird to say that, but there is definitely a heart it to started Fast and Furious. It started yeah. as a franchise that you would not expect it could go in that direction. Right. right. Yet every time they make another one, it's faster and indeed furiouser. Yeah. yeah. And this is also this <laughs> And it's fun. And it's, and it's like yeah. you don't feel you don't feel bad for like I feel like I need to take a shower when I watch a Transformers movie. Yeah. <laughs> I I usually like I tried watching one Fairly recent. Yeah, if you can yeah, even yeah. get through it. I don't want to jump off of Fast and Furious, but I just wanted to do one more Michael Bay thing because while we were on that topic, it made me think of one of the – a contender for this would be Armageddon, right? Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. Armageddon's up there. I mean, that yeah, dominated yeah. the conversation. It has fun. It's got stupid animal cracker scenes too. Yes, we all Music know. Music video. Yeah. Funny thing about Armageddon is that screenwriters talk about like how it has literally the worst scene of all cinematic history. Animal crackers. Because it's a scene that it does not do any effort towards the plot. It does no new character information. It literally is nothing for the movie. You take that scene out, nothing changes. Mm. It is known as the, one of the worst things. And it happens to be about animal crackers. And it's just an excuse to see Liv Tyler's tummy. You know? Yeah. We already know they're in love and all that. Anyway, it's just so weird <laughs> that Michael Bay just chooses, like, I'm just going to show you a law. Here's Animal Crackers. It's yeah, just like he just, what he thinks are good scenes. Or, or information that we need. Yeah, it makes no it's in sense. The middle of, it, we were talking about this in a, in, we were talking about this earlier today, but it's like bad filmmakers will show you like, I need to get this thing. And so they'll show you, I'm going to get in my car and drive here to get this thing. I'm going to get out of my car and exchange yeah. money to get this thing. It's like, you don't need to show us all that. You can say, I'm going to go get this thing. And then the next scene, they have the thing. They have the thing. Like, we don't, you're not, we don't need all that information. There's a, con- there's, a, there's a joke in improv called Taco Talk where improvers who are not very good will often start seeing like, I would like to buy a taco. Yeah. And they, a bad sure, improver is like, sure, that'll be $2. Like, are you sure? <laughs> Why not $1.50? No, sir, it's $2. Thank you, I'll buy the taco. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. it's a scene that goes nowhere. And yeah. Michael Bay is pretty... Transaction, pretty yeah. Transactional. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Michael Bay kind of loves those scenes. He's like a f- more famous Neil Breen. <laughs> the deep cut. <laughs> Google, he's he's also a fucking amazing filmmaker. The guy yeah, he's is really, really good. good. He's really good yeah. at action. He's just like doesn't, he just doesn't... He knows what he gets to do just, yeah. as far as Fuck. that goes. Yeah. But then he also has animal cracker scenes he's and little, lots of racism in his movie. See, I think that Fast and Furious is an entirely inspired by Michael Bay's career franchise because it's derivative to some extent. And oh, I don't... they also they call oh, you know what they also they've been coming out in April too. <laughs> like so. Uh, well, but also I feel like there's a recent factor for summer movies that's starting to develop, and one franchise doing is Fast and Furious. Another one that did a little before that is Mission Impossible, where we'll franchise these things out so much that they will start to get really good by like movie four or five yeah and it'll and it'll do it by blowing out what the previous movies did like mission impossible to me succeeds in a lot of ways that especially some bond movies can't because there's no continuity ever just tom cruise Mm. is suddenly himself in this new situation with a whole new team doing random stunts again every time (laughs) and they just do that no matter what to make the most fun movie possible right and Fast and the Furious, they're just, apparently no one's a villain and everyone's a villain now. Simultaneously, and, it's yeah. Schrodinger's cat of villainy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they're, well, just, and they're just stacking tanks on icebergs now. and Like, they're just going for it. I right, mean, the new right. one is... It's summer, do it. Uh, Shirley Theron. Yeah. And she, like, coerces Dom to turn against his team. Yeah. yeah. And for some reason, he can't tell them. 
because of his daughter or something. That's right. Am I getting this right? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're now getting to to the point where it's just like a soap opera. Like, oh no no, he's back on. He's 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 right he's on right right. It also it's the fourth time he's betrayed us, but we still love him. And I mean, I think the Rock punches a torpedo away from a submarine. Oh, that's great. But like, they don't do the thing where they look at the camera and be like, "Can you believe this?" Which I think a lot of movies mistake as being fun and not taking themselves seriously. Because like, yeah. my the best example I can think of of this is in the Avengers: Age of Ultron, when a uh, Hawkeye comes running and he's trying to convince, I think Scarlet Witch to get back into the fight, mm-hmm. and she's like, "I can't. This is insane." And he's like, "What are you, what are you talking about? There's, there's robots flying everywhere. I'm shooting. I'm running around with a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense." And it's like, "Oh, <laughs> oh that's a funny line." I'm like, "No, he's calling us all assholes for watching this movie. Like, right. you, you don't. <laughs> this you, is you don't. On his way out. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, you don't." <laughs> say the thing that you're doing is like I don't... it's meta role playing right is what it is yeah. it's like it's the same thing of I think we talked about uh, if you watch our podcast on uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders we mentioned a similar thing where Temple Doom is supposed to be a prequel it's a scene where with the swordsman. In, in, in Raiders yeah. of the Lost Ark there's a scene where he runs that that swordsman in the Cairo street and he does this in, whole thing with his sword and, and he just pulls out his gun and shoots and him in Raiders it's fine him. because you think mm. it's out of desperation he's been just through a lot guy and so you laugh at that moment but then it's like trying to catch lightning in a bottle and they do it in Temple of Doom Temple of Doom as a even though it's a sequel it's also a prequel it's a sequel, so it calls back at that point. So now you know this about Indy, that he just does this sometimes. He's just an asshole that, that there's an honorable you know, exchange of like, I'm going to fight you, I'm going to fight you, now he's just going to shoot him. The second we started doing that with our sequels and our franchises, where it's just like, remember that one time that? It's getting meta. And we laugh at it because we did enjoy that previous moment. Like, that was a whole bunch of fun. But if you just rehash it, getting too old for this shit, I don't know. It just it doesn't feel as genuine. Well, it becomes yeah. cynical. It, yeah, the Transformers thing where it's like I'm fine with the Rock punching a, a torpedo out of the way because this we're in this universe where this stuff it's happens. Ridiculous, but yeah. if he like turns to the camera, it's like, can you believe I just punched yeah. that torpedo? I'd be like, fuck you, fuck you, Rock. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, he's the most likable guy, right? <laughs> yeah, he's allowed. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, he's allowed. I don't yeah. think we could stop him. I think the three of us trying to get the Rock to do anything, we still could not stop him. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of. Two things, not only the opposite, the perfect way to do a sequel, and also very, very brawny men. I think Terminator 2 Judgment Day has got to be yeah. Oh, yeah. in the set of movie, And in spite of there being horrifying elements to it, but there's so much no, adventure and it, there's so yeah. much... It was such a cultural it's yeah. James milestone. Cameron. Like it, was, it, was, it was, yeah, it was like, I think that definitely, that not only is that one of the best summer movies, that's one of the best movies, like period. Yeah, but basically. like that was so such a part of the zeitgeist at the time. It yeah. also dominated a conversation we haven't really had, which is in the same way that I think one of the reasons that Star Wars or New Hope originally dominated the conversation on a technical perspective. They were like, those, those spaceships, I've never seen anything like it. And I think James Cameron T2 did it essentially with that T-1000. Yeah, with the CGI, with the T-1000. Yeah, everyone was talking about it because it was like, look at that shit. Yeah. That looks real. Yeah. And so that's something too, is if a filmmaker or a film can truly show someone a unique experience, something they've never had, you know, trying to catch that old, like, great train robbery when they showed the, you know, train coming at the audience. The audience members, like, got scared because they felt like the train was coming at them. If we can reinvigorate that experience in the theater that you feel like absolute whimsy and wonder 
and you're like a child, if you're teleported to that space where you're absolutely involved in the movie and it looks like something you've never seen before, it's a spectacle. I think T2's in the conversation. Yeah, it also had a dope-ass Guns N' Roses song <laughs> with accompanying music video. <laughs> That's true. Starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Did T2 oh, just what win? song? I don't know uh, You that. Could Be Mine. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. I didn't know about that at all. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's starting to become T2 versus Jurassic Park for me right now. Yeah. Unfortunately, there wasn't. I mean, Jurassic Park is a big blind spot in the music video department. It does. I will admit. It does. Right. But that soundtrack it's... was out of control anyway. Like the Jurassic Park. Yeah. Like the orchestral score. I bought that. <laughs> I would sit there listening to that. that What's the greatest summer. soundtrack of all time? Tie-in song or just soundtrack? Tie-in. Just, just a soundtrack? original score I'm gonna like, go back tough. to Batman you know not original Batman probably Batman Forever I was gonna say Batman Forever <laughs> I got a dark horse for this cause I, I was a, a band Top boy you were a band time. boy I was a travel player Pirates of the Caribbean Curse of the Black Ooh. Pearl had a dope ass soundtrack and we played it in band and like all of us in the brass section got the CD and mm. it was a real out of nowhere oh there's this fun intense band music to play uh, you gonna, learned something new I'm gonna, slightly, I'm gonna slightly ruin this for you Scores by Hans Zimmer, right? Probably. He also scored The Rock. Go back and watch The Rock. The theme from The Rock is the theme from Pirates of the Caribbean. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> like, Ooh. He's just repeating Throwing himself. some shade. Yeah. It should be the theme from every movie. Hans. Sure, it's great. Just, just letting you know. Yeah. <laughs> Hans Zimmer does this a lot. Where he just repeats, repeats, uh, yeah. <laughs> he just repeats shit. <laughs> Everyone's got their own style. I think uh, that's. I mean, that's a contender too. Chris the yeah. Black Pearl, first Pirates movie. Yeah, that that's one's a solid summer movie. Yeah, I mean that, that it's, it's all of the things, and it's it's it's, it's, yeah, it's an came, adventure. It, you know, it's like tied. It's from a theme park ride. That's yeah. so summer. Yeah, you kidding it, me? It is literally a theme park ride. Did it dominate the conversation? <laughs> I think so. Okay, I think Jack was, Sparrow was such a meme, if nothing else, and it was such I, a yeah. surprise because I saw that movie based on word of mouth. Like I, yeah. I, don't, I think it's one of those movies I would have to. Maybe apocryphal, but I think it's one of those movies that didn't have a huge opening weekend, but then yeah. went on to blow up over the summer as people saw it. Yeah. It's also it's also what I give it some credit for the second movie, Dead Man's Chest, which was not that good, made over a billion dollars at the box office. And I think it's just because people were like, I mean, the first one was so, so summery, stoked on the first like, one. Yeah. Why would I not check it out again? Like, yeah, that was yeah. A... It's like a Matrix Reloaded situation where everyone like... was just like, I'm gonna go to another one. My God, right? Matrix right. came out in March. Yeah, I think Matrix. Yeah, I think Matrix came out of nowhere in not the summer. Yeah, yeah, and and everything's Reloaded green in it, summer, so it's not a summer. Yeah, thing. It's yeah. True. <laughs> Feels very mossy. <laughs> That's yeah. not summer. I feel like we we have a lot of contenders, and I want to let's do a lightning round of just any other ones we want to get out. Oh, definitely. Okay, Forrest Gump. <laughs> Yeah, Forrest Gump's an incredible Weird. summer movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and it also had an amazing soundtrack. It had a double disc soundtrack because all the songs throughout all the it was just the same thing as Guardians, where it's just a mixtape, but it's a mixtape right, at right. every point in, in contemporary history that he went through. Is that the movie that introduced everybody to Fortunate Son? The song Fortunate Son? Probably. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like in the Vietnam scenes. <laughs> yeah, in, in conjunction with the Vietnam War. I'm gonna uh, go with uh, X Men. Oh, yeah. yeah. X-Men's along the lines for that, sure. That, that, yeah. Brian that was, Singer. Yeah, first, yeah. Very was, first X-Men. Mm -hmm. That had yeah. a lot of Not the up. best X-Men, but a, a big one. And had a lot of build-up, too. It's definitely one of them. When it was good enough to spark, like, nine more Wolverine movies with Hugh Jackman. Right. Oh, yeah. Over the Which next 20 years. The birth of Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, remember, I do remember walking away from that movie being like, the movie was okay. I tell you, that Wolverine was really good, though. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. He's, have you seen the side-by-side -side pictures of him like as OG 
Wolverine. I just oh. watched it recently. It's like crazy. The, like how his like muscle how his muscles is have changed. Insane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's like, I think he's like my size in the first one. <laughs> and then yeah. like in, in... Like he's a, str- he's a strong guy. He's a guy, yeah. He's just a guy. Yeah, he's like, yeah. But, uh, but it's not all... like, he's not like shredded up. He's well, he's also like, been it's... like very active in social media recently, <laughs> mm-hmm. like of him just eating food. Because now he's done being Wolverine, I'm pretty sure. So it's just like oh, him so he can eating a again. cake and going like, uh. Yeah. <laughs> I can eat carbs so again. Good. I haven't had a carb since yeah. 1999. Yeah, because oh. the guy's been doing it for 17 years. It's yeah. like that time when The Rock went on Jimmy Fallon and ate candy. Because he had, yeah. hadn't eaten candy in like 20 years. And they made a thing out of it. Of course. <laughs> of course, Fallon. Yeah. Did it again, Fallon. <laughs> I, actually, I have a, a sort of weird you picture going? one. Because I don't think it's something we think of as a summer blockbuster but the comedy movie Caddyshack in 1980. That it has explosions. It has people kind of coming out of nowhere and becoming fixtures. It was the first movie Harold Ramis directed. Mm-hmm. It was Bill Murray hadn't really done anything. Chevy Chase hadn't done anything. Dangerfield was just a stand-up, and it just took over the summer with a summery, explodey, crazy movie. Yeah, and that was interesting. I mean, Chevy Chase had just left Saturday Night Live yeah, to yeah. make that movie, and Bill Murray had taken his place, and there was there was like a contention yeah. there so people yeah. are like oh yeah. they're making a movie together and uh, they originally didn't have a scene together so they added that scene where they have apparently where they just see each other yeah they just they they, they do it's 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 an animal cracker scene because nothing happens yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. anything for the story <laughs> it's like well we have to have a scene where chevy chase and bill murray do something so yeah some hijinks yeah maybe there's wackiness involved. it's, it's yeah. full of wackiness it's also and hijinks. it's also heavy on special effects in a way that doesn't stand out now like right. they did special effects for a lot of the weather they had a, a whole company doing the gopher that keeps popping up mm-hmm. it's a weirdly blockbustery for being a movie about there's a golf that. course there's a boat chase like, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot for a comedy, especially. Yeah. I mean, they they brought a lot of star power, but like you mentioned, they weren't they weren't really stars, but they were SNL stars. They were they were about to become stars. Yeah. yeah. And then along well, those lines, Bill Murray had been on SNL and had done Meatballs, and then Chevy Chase had done SNL and passed on Animal House, and that was what people knew about him. That was it. So Caddyshack launched that whole Bill Murray run with Stripes and Groundhog Day and Ghostbusters and everything else. I was going to say Ghostbusters. And then Chevy Chase from there goes and makes Vacation and I don't know, some other stuff. The Morris of Invisible Man. Yeah. Funny Farm. And Harold Ramis hadn't directed a movie yet. When was Fletch? After that. After that? Because Caddyshack was 1980. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Fletch is like 82. So it's pretty. Fletch is 85. 85. Wow. That late. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Ghostbusters definitely summer contender. Oh, big time. Yeah. Big effects film, a lot of build up to it. Yep. Huge hit. Yeah. It's kind of an adventure movie. I want to give a nomination still to Top Gun. Oh, absolutely. Oh, shoot. How did we not get to Top Gun? Well, I Uh, mentioned it briefly when we talked about soundtracks, but... It gets bonus points for having a volleyball scene. It does have a volleyball Volleyball, (laughs) which is often played... Summer activity. During During the summer. summer. (laughs) Drives a motorcycle. Yeah. Which that 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 scene is um, copied in Independence Day. Another another film that you feel like heat, like not yeah. the movie Heat, but like you, here's a it's he, warm, yeah, yeah. Scott does a lot of um, Tony Scott. Tony Scott. Scott does a lot of like mirage photography where you're like looking through the heat waves mm-hmm. on the you know tarmac slash like hangar. I don't even know what they call them. Aircraft the, carrier. There it is. It, yeah. There it is. So that always makes me think of summers. Yeah. All the time. Yeah, and it dominated the country when it came yeah. out. Oh, yeah. It was Absolutely. huge. Biggest movie yeah. ever. And music video Berlin, you know, a mm-hmm. tie-in, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. whole thing. Yeah. Soundtrack. Adventure uh, film. Kenny Loggins. It is kind of, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of an adventure film. Mm-hmm. It's not a war film. No, no. You got the romance. 
There is. Yeah. The there Righteous is. Brothers. You got you got the Taking uh, People's Breath Away. Val Kilmer as oh, that's the, the Iceman. Song. <laughs> Righteous Brothers, you lost that loving feeling. Yeah. Yeah. What is his antagonist in that film? His own ego, I the think. Yeah. For speed. Uh, yeah, the need for speed. Yeah, so. it's <laughs> kind of Iceman, but not really. Not, not really. really. He's kind of, kind of a, he's a B plot. To beat Iceman, he must beat himself. Right. Right. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. that's just a. Don't say it came out a little different than it was in my head. <laughs> <laughs> don't beat yourself. Right. <laughs> I'm trying. To, um, I think I have one more to add in. How many do you guys have? I, I can do one more. Yeah. Again. Specifically, it's the Lion King. Oh, that was gonna. That was what it, weirdly yeah. a total summer movie. Yeah, we yeah. hadn't talked about yeah. it. Like I think of all Disney, it's the one that's the most. Well, it has that heat thing, like all oh, the savannah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah. the songs are amazing, and it's very aimed at being a kid in a way that is just weirdly specific. I don't know. It's great. It yeah. was also. Yeah. I think it was the first one to be released in the summer uh, after a stretch of their big. They had it. You know they. The Disney Renaissance was in full swing because they had had The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin yeah. all come out. But those were all movies that were released in November. And then Lion King comes out in the early, I think June of 1994, also with a huge soundtrack that dominated the entire summer. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, absolutely yeah. right. Like those, the two movies, I feel like the two movies everybody was talking about in 1994, well, mainly Lion King and um, Forrest Gump, but then also Speed. Oh, Speed, Speed, yeah. Speed was a huge mm. movie that summer. Total summer movie. Also yeah. came out of nowhere. Because <laughs> it's like Keanu Reeves, who wasn't really like a big star. Like he yeah. had, he's in stuff, but like yeah. he hadn't really had like a breakout hit, I don't think, at that point. You know, Bill and Ted, Point Break, Dracula, Much Ado About <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. Um, Plus like buses hadn't starred in a movie in God no, knows how long. Lord, yeah, the yeah, yeah. last bus movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> can't think of one. Mm. Taking Pelham 123, that's a train. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I looked uh, over and Brad is googling movies about buses. Movies about buses. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 genre that's never failed. All bus those... stop, Marilyn Monroe, nineteen fifty six. So <laughs> bus stop. Uh, we were due. We were due. It was we're... almost forty years. We went without well, a bus yeah. movie. And uh, <laughs> Speed was the first movie that Jan de Bont had directed, who was a DP for a while, as a director of photography yep. for a long time. And yep. Speed, I think, was his first directorial movie. And then two years later, he would make Twister. Yeah, I fucking love Twister. Which is definitely a film. And then he never did anything else. <laughs> that, was, that was worth anything. What do you guys think about Total Recall? Wow, to- <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, Total Recall. Ah, I don't think, uh, I wouldn't count that one. Why not? Give your reasons. First of all, it's a hard R. Mm, um, that is tough. Because it's Verhoeven. Verhoeven is simultaneously. Uncompromising. Yeah. He's simultaneously fun and mean. Like, yeah, <laughs> Robocop is a fun movie. It's a mean movie. <laughs> yeah, it's like, mean. And I feel like Total Recall is the same thing. I thought it dominated I, the conversation, but R is compelling because that meant that little kitties couldn't share. In there the, was there was a Nintendo the bounties game, of... but my mom wouldn't let me rent the Nintendo game. Yeah, so I was I was cut See, out I, of that market. Yeah. I also was old enough that that time that even though I wasn't supposed to, we got in. <laughs> you watched, you watched <laughs> was, Total Recall. I was a cool ten year old. Did you do it by pronouncing it recall? And they were like, ooh, these mature <laughs> yeah. adults would like to no, see the movie. No, I, I just do that on <laughs> podcasts so people think I'm smart. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, I, I do think uh, it gets in there in the same way Mad Max Fury Road fits. Because right. like, there are elements of it that are not summer movie-ish, but it, the action's so good and the sci-fi is so good. And then Total Recall has Schwarzenegger. 
Uh, like it's just a it's big, the big star, yeah. thing that it kind of works. It's in the conversation, but I still gotta keep coming back to Jurassic Park. It's the ultimate yeah. one. That's the ultimate. Probably. For me. I, would, I mean, for uh, our genre, era. It's a yeah. for me. It's a hard choice between because you already said JP. Yeah. I'll say Tim Burton's Batman, even though Jurassic, head to head Jurassic Park is. So those two, those two are in my mind like the two biggest summer movies ever. No holds barred, my friend. Let's make them fight. Even movies yeah. fight. Even film. No yeah. holds barred. No. <laughs> <laughs> no holds barred. <laughs> yeah, I is that uh, the theme song to it? Or it is? absolutely oh, is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with uh, my two is Star Wars mm. and JP, and I think JP wins it out just by a little bit. Because I think the block it took it took ten years or so for the blockbuster to really crack the formula down to its minutia. I think like yeah. accidental masterpiece of Star Wars. Yeah. And I think that 1993 was the year of the blockbuster, and like in terms of getting things ready, like society was ready, and Steven Spielberg was there, and he said, "Don't worry, 1993, I got this." Everybody stand back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is a thing where I look at this list and I only see one movie centered on dinosaurs, and mm. that's just cool. Dinosaurs are cool. Like, and on top summary, of everything it else, it is insane how little movies we have about. Once we figured out how to put dinosaurs in movies, it's insane to me that nobody else has really tried outside of Jurassic Park movies. Right. That's dumb. Like, 1993, they make Jurassic Park. The next year, Hollywood's like, our next thing should be a bus. Stupid. <laughs> Stupid. Right. You go right back to that dinosaur <laughs> yeah. well. All right, so yeah. last year we had Jurassic Park. This year we have The Shadow. <laughs> oh, yeah. This year we've uh, got Maverick. Maverick's a great film. I'm not disparaging yeah. Maverick. Oh, Maverick's talk the winner. shit on right. Maverick. <laughs> yeah, Maverick's an amazing movie. <laughs> <laughs> Also, that's, uh, I think we were just talking about how Maverick is one of the only, like, the entire thing is, it's based on luck. And he just lucked out. Like, he did nothing to win. Well, yeah, it's went, a game he, well he wins literally by magic. Yeah, yeah luck is yeah. the magic. He wills well, himself yeah, he to wills, get Yeah, he wills himself to get the card, but he sits on, like, a bad hand. Like, <laughs> like otherwise he would have like lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, like, river rats them. <laughs> like he, he's not a good poker player. He shouldn't be in that situation, but he is, and he won. And uh, thank you, William Golden. It's a uh, it's a perfect film. A uh, boat movie. <laughs> that, that one's a boat movie. We're talking about bus movies. Oh, oh yeah, well, the second it. Speed Two Cruise Control is a boat movie. Touche. <laughs> it is a bad film. I don't know why I think I feel like you've won, but you have. <laughs> <laughs> because the uh, well, not the entirety, but I don't know most of Speed Two. Speed is Two Cruise Control. Did you have a choice? I mean, we kind of laid down, here's what no, I we think. think. I, I think I got to Jurassic Park being the one in the end of it. Huh. Yeah. yeah. It's really hard to turn down Star Wars, and it's really hard to turn down... There was one other one. But the, but I think I think that, I think think that that's the winner. I think Jurassic Park just Jurassic did GP all of the things it. that a summer movie yeah. does when it does successfully. Exactly. Yeah. It crushed it so hard that this is very unusual for the time and unheard of now. It did not come out on home video for... 15 months after its release. Wow. Uh, wow. This is in the time. You mentally calculated that. I did. That was I, remember, awesome. I remember Jurassic When it Bar started shooting. Jurassic Park yeah. came out in June of 93. It did not come out on video until October of 94. Right. Yeah. And that is unheard of. Right. Uh, at the time, movies, would it was like a six-month window, usually. Mm -hmm. Like a movie would release in the theaters, and then six months later, you'd be able to rent it at Blockbuster. In some rare cases, you'd be able to buy it right away, but usually it was available for rental. And then a little bit after that, you could, you could buy it. Nowadays, movies come out 
uh, in the theaters, and then three months later, they're available for streaming or, right. or to own. Right. But like, think about like they were still selling tickets for Jurassic Park mm. for uh, almost a year and a half. Yeah, it was like eighteen. <laughs> so yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, and the merchandise and all yeah. that. I mean, like they didn't need to put out the video. <laughs> yeah, like, they didn't. Let's keep riding this. And the font. Oh, baby, the font. Yeah. <laughs> the font. <laughs> the font. You got that font. Yeah. Font game on point. Yeah. So I guess I. Uh, you heard it here, Stevie. Stevie Spielberg, you yeah. get our award for most summary movie. Best summer blockbuster. Uh, so I guess, Mr. Spielberg, you can come pick up your trophy at the cracked offices. Sure. Yeah. You know, yeah, swing on feel by. free on swinging on. Bye. Yeah. But when it's convenient for yeah. me, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. But do you accept business cards is another thing. I feel at this point in our respective careers, your schedule is more flexible than mine. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations is due. Yeah. Yeah. To the Berg. I think Who that, happens to be our, uh, no, our the first, first Yeah, the first director we talk about on our podcast, the Crack yeah. Movie Club. And I'm so excited for you guys to explore him and everybody else. It's a great show. Oh, thanks. Thanks, yeah. man. Thanks for the plug. And yeah. you guys can listen to it this Thursday, I think? Thursday. It's yeah. Out. It'll be in this feed, and then right. on its, uh, the first two episodes will be in their own feed. So if you haven't already subscribed, yeah. go subscribe. Do that. Folks, that's the episode for this week. My thanks to Tom Ryman, Abe Epperson, and everybody who's subscribed to Cracked Movie Club already. And hey, if you haven't yet, maybe you can subscribe now, you know, and then you'll get some of those sweet, sweet thanks in the next chunk of the show. How about that? You know, might happen. After all, you never know what might happen in our footnotes. This week, we've got a lot of the posters and trailers that we picked out in this episode Footnoted for you in the description. We also have the music video for Kiss from a Rose, starring Seal and the Bat Signal and No Shirts. And you can cap that off with the scene from Transformers 4 that we could not get over, where they full-on stop the movie. They stop a three-hour blockbuster to cite the official state of Texas Romeo and Juliet law. The entire movie, you can hear it grinding to a halt. It's crazy. Also, if I can share one extra fun thing about... The process of assembling these footnotes, I found myself asking which state that Romeo and Juliet law was in. I was pretty sure it was Texas. I wasn't totally sure. So I decided to Google it because you folks deserve accuracy. I typed Transformers 4 into Google. And that's it. Very important to know that I just typed Transformers 4. And when the results came up, the second result was the Wikipedia page for Transformers colon Age of Extinction, which is the actual name of the movie. And I moved to click through and read and check that it's Texas. But before I do, you know how Google will like preview a little bit of the contents of the website for you? The number one thing it previewed from the middle of the page was just one line from the music section of the Transformers 4 Wikipedia page. And here is that line, quote, it is also the first Transformers film not to feature a Linkin Park song. End quote. That's it. The, the entire Transformers 4 Wikipedia page, Google said, you need to know that. And what a warning. What a warning to the movie fans of the world and the people of Earth to just know that this is how the entire Transformers series rolls in like 12 words. That's an algorithm, folks. That's, that's technology at its best. Thank you. Anyway, it looks like I'm saluting Google a lot this week. What else am I doing? I want to thank everybody who came out to our live Cracked podcast episode this past weekend at UCB Sunset in L.A. Uh, we return to that stage August 12th, so watch this feed for more info about that. 
And if you're saying, hey, you Hollywood jerks, I'm not proximate to Los Angeles, that's okay. We are coming to the Now Hear This Festival in New York City in September. Couldn't be more excited about it. It's sort of a Coachella music festival type of thing, but for podcasts and indoors and stuff. It's fantastic. You'll be able to see all kinds of different shows that you're probably already a fan of. How did this get made? Politically reactive. Love it or leave it. Also favorites from Gimlet and Star Talk, Public Radio, Radiotopia. The world of podcasting is going to show up to the Javits Center in New York City, September 8th through 10th. If you go to nowhearthisfest.com, you can learn more about it. You can get tickets. Also, we got a little deal for you because you're friends of ours. If you enter offer code CRACKED, C-R-A-C-K-E-D, you can read it right off the logo, folks. If you enter that offer code at nowhearthisfest.com, you'll save 20 bucks on any festival passes for the event. So, you know, enjoy. And we're really hoping to see you there uh, because we don't get out to the East Coast that often. And this is a really great chance to do that and experience all the wonders of, I mean, does anybody really call it the Big Apple? I feel like a tourist. I lived there. What am I doing? Anyway, please come check us out. Nowhearthisfest.com. And that promo code is CRACKED to get a deal on passes. If you love this episode, hey, that's great. Also, you might like Cracked Movie Club. And if you hated this episode, hey, cool it. But let me know about it on social media, because feedback is important. Find me on Twitter under the name at Alex Schmitty. I'm also on the wider internet at my website, alexschmitty.com. Our super engineer, Brett Rader, is at Brett, R-A-D-E-R, on Twitter. Tom's Twitter is at StartTheMachine. Abe's Twitter is at AbeTheMighty. And Cracked Movie Club has a Twitter. It has an Instagram. It has a Facebook page. It's more connected than like 99% of people. Those are all at Cracked Movie Pod, if you want to find them, at Cracked Movie Pod. In Facebook's case, that's facebook.com slash Cracked Movie Pod. You'll find updates on the show, but also just a lot of fun movie stuff on all those accounts. And hey, check them out. And of course, most importantly, you'll find Tom and Abe on the Cracked Movie Club podcast every week starting this Thursday. And it's going to be a blast. We'll also be back next week with more Cracked Podcast. How about that? Talk to you then. In this age of big lies and fake news, True TV's hit educational comedy, Adam Ruins Everything, proves that truth has its merits and gives you the facts with a heaping helping of comedy. Comedian Adam Conover is back on True TV as the second season of the hit informational comedy, Adam Ruins Everything, returns to ruin your life with knowledge, but, you know, in a good way. Watch all new episodes of Adam Ruins Everything Tuesdays on True TV or get them on demand and at truetv.com. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.